as if what is true is somehow harmful when acted out on a personal level as a pastor. And you just see nothing in the scriptures any remotely like that. The truth is always seen as a thing that sets a person free. Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. We are recording this episode on Wednesday, January 31st, 2024. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I'm here, as I always am, with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of St. Luke's Anglican Church on Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. How are you guys doing today? Excellent. Yeah, great. Great, Nick. Thanks. I've been seeing those January lasts forever memes online, and it did just strike me that Christmas and New Year's seem like nine months ago. My house <laughs> is under construction. I've had furnace issues. It's cold, and it's not even Lent yet. Are you guys slogging through your lives too? Well, not exactly uh, here. <laughs> We're just, I did wear socks for most of the month of Jan- January, so that was a real, a real um, sort of hardship, uh, if I have to admit it. But um, we, I don't know. It's it, it does feel a long time ago. I think it's mainly because uh, Christmas is hectic for everyone, but for ministers particularly, um, there wasn't a lot of downtime. But I haven't seen any of those memes. We must be. We must have different mutuals, as they say. <laughs> the algorithm <laughs> thinks that we're not identical people. That's right. I can see the sun shining through your window, JD. That really makes me. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah seriously, right. it right. fills me with rage. <laughs> <laughs> It's been raining a lot. Uh, I don't know. It just serves to fill up your swimming pools. (laughs) Um, Somehow, you guys, it seems like we're going to have the exact same conversation this week that we had last week. Neither the Calvin Robinson nor the Alistair Begg issues are going anywhere. Uh, If Robinson's talk and the reaction to it last week further expose the fault lines in ACNA over the ordination of women... Bishop Alex Farmer of the Gulf Atlantic Diocese seems to have exacerbated the situation by, in a sermon preached last Sunday, expressing the opinion that Robinson was, during his talk at mere Anglicanism, quote, giving himself over to an unclean spirit, unquote, drawing a parallel to the unclean spirit cast out by Jesus in Mark chapter 1. Uh, The second thing we talked about last week was about Christians and attendance at same-sex or transgender quote-unquote weddings. And at his church this past Sunday, Alistair Pegg addressed the fallout from his suggestion that a Christian could attend such a ceremony by using Luke 15 and likening Christians who refuse to the elder brother in the parable of the prodigal son and suggesting that they were being pharisaical. So I'm not going to make the mistake I made last week about promising how much time we're going to spend talking (laughs) about one or the other of those things. They're both profoundly sad. You guys, where do you want to start? Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I thought the, well, I guess if we start with the bishops, I mean, that that seems to at least be dissipating somewhat. I mean, I, it was brought back up, but it does. But I thought that equating Calvin with the man with the unclean spirit was a stretch to put it, to put it lightly. Um, you know, I don't want to be, dis, I don't want to be in any way um, disparaging or unchristian but but it really seemed like a pretty far stretch i mean he calls him a brother so he's he's referring to him as a brother in christ another christian minister but it is a very disorienting illusion to what i would like to what i would like to hear is is a clear statement of what exactly was unchristian 
or disparaging about Calvin's remarks. I mean, I was in there in person and, and, we, and he's put the transcript out and, you know, you can, like we said last week, take exception to some of the analogies might have been sort of heavy handed. It was certainly direct and there was not a lot of nuance or appreciation for, you know, there, were, there was some lack of, of consideration perhaps of how it would be heard. But none of them rose to the level, in my opinion, of censorious statements that should be castigated as unchristian or, or certainly not demonic. You know, it's like, and so we saw, we saw, you know, the spin cycle it, by the time, by the time Bishop Farmer preached his sermon, there have been several different instances often, and well, you know, he was, Calvin officer was talking about a subject that we hadn't asked him to talk about, so that's why we asked him to, uh, and then, well, it wasn't WO, but then it was WO. But then finally, it's come out that it was. It, it's not really a WO, it's just the way he talked about it. You know, I think what Bishop Egger said that it's just the way the, the, the tone or the, the meanness, quote unquote, uh, I'm not sure if he said it would be, but it was, the tone was not great. So that was the reason he was asked to, to not be down. And then finally, we get talking this last, and I'm not sure it wasn't coordinated, but we get this last. <laughs> Last justification, which is, well, demons are speaking through them. So an unhealthy spirit. Yeah, that, that well, escalated I mean, quickly. I, that, that's, that's great. Even if I agreed, if I, if I were not, if I immediately disagreed with Calvin Robbins and what he said, I would be really scared to say that this is an unclean spirit because that's the sort of thing that, that Jesus calls the last of the Holy Spirit. If in fact, Calvin Robinson is speaking the truth. He's, he's, what he's saying is consistent with what the scriptures say, what God says, what, what the Bible reveals, and to call what is spiritual from the Holy Spirit demonic, that's what, that's what the Pharisees were doing to Jesus. And that was, that's, that's what he called, again, the unforgivable sin. So I'd be really careful if I were Bishop Farmer or anyone else in that opposing this. I mean, I find launch your, launch your arguments against it, but my goodness, uh, be careful, literally demonizing the other side. <laughs> so. I suspect that Bishop Farmer would want to say that it was more of a juxtaposition to what speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit would look like, because he, he specifically said that it seemed to him at first that the presenter was in fact speaking a word of truth to the congregation but that upon reflection, he realized that there was no love and no grace in the message. And it was that that sort of disconnected it for him from the Holy Spirit. And my my reading of his turn there was, well, if he's not speaking in the Holy Spirit, he's sort of given himself over to this other spirit, which again, is maybe it was simply the occasion of the reading for that Sunday was more about how that connection was made, but it seemed I, like for I, him, it was about the lack of grace and love that he yeah. saw that connected it with an uncleanness. I also think that's, that's very dangerous because I, I my, my guess is if that's how Bishop Farmer responds to harsh, I mean, harsh, I don't think coming up to be harsh, but strong, stern language. What would he have said with Jesus calling the Pharisees whitewashed tombs and, you know, making their converts sons of hell like they are. I mean, that's, yeah, you can't say that just because someone's tone is off that they're speaking from the from, by, from demons. <laughs> that's just that's just 
that's that's not a sign you're speaking from demons. A sign that you're speaking from demons is if you're if you're spreading some kind of lie. Yeah, I mean, if, like if your head's spinning and vomiting and you've got really guttural sounds. Yeah. You know, yeah. Then, yes. <laughs> right. But being, but being zealous about what you think is the truth isn't necessarily demonic unless you can show that it's somehow contrary to what God says. And even then, you wouldn't probably argue, would you, that somebody firmly defending a position that they wrongly hold, that, right. they, that they think is faithful, would be right. from, a, from an unclean spirit either. Yeah, I mean, people get things wrong all the time, and this, this might just be a case of. I mean, I don't, I don't think he got it wrong, but you know, assuming that I'm taking the position that he did, I could just say, well, Calvin Robinson is a man of his convictions. He speaks firmly about the the thing that he believes. It was a very strong message. I disagree with him vehemently. Uh, maybe we can continue the dialogue. Not oh, and also, <laughs> demons were speaking through him during the meeting. It's just so unbelievable. This is the. This was said in a sermon. Man and I were talking about this in our the motivations podcast. We said, you know, this is one reason why you might want to have a manuscript when you, <laughs> when you, when you preach. So. Well, I can I can vouch for that. I'm I uh, almost said the sentence. I going to expose myself to you to my congregation <laughs> this last Sunday. I was able to catch it about halfway through but it almost came out and i was like this is why this is why i don't freelance <laughs> well it remains to be seen what the continued fallout from all this will be but i think as we said last week it's obviously clear that this is not going away anytime soon um this whole controversy and i don't know what i'm assuming i'm praying and hoping that the leadership of the church is taking note of this for better or worse from whatever perspective they're coming from and that there would be a some sort of movement towards some i don't know if even reconciliation is the word but but at least an acknowledgement of a division divide and a hurt on either side and a, a way forward i mean I, I just i think that you know but it is tough as we talked about last week when rhetoric from all levels of the church are is so inflammatory and and dismissive um even to the extent of being you know implied that you were speaking as as a demonic you know, <laughs> speaking as an unclean spirit you know that's tough to dialogue with someone you know if you if you legitimately think i'm speaking with an unclean spirit well then i'm not sure we're going to have a very fruitful fruitful have, dialogue have you come to destroy us <laughs> That's right. I mean, not unless we're in the earshot of a of a herd of pigs, right? And then perhaps there's a there's a hope. But it's it was it was quite something to listen to that sermon. But but almost not as bad as listening to Alistair Begg's defense. How's that yeah. for a transition, Nick? There yeah, go. there you go. I was actually yeah. kind of surprised that he did address it so directly from the pulpit in a sermon. I thought it was going to be one of those like I've said what I said and. And that's it. But he I listened to it. Way. He was like the verge of tears the whole yeah. time. I felt like super weak voice compared to what he, you know, I've been listening to him for 25 years. I, was, I felt like he was very, seemed very frail at that moment um, in a way that I wasn't prepared to hear. I mean, I, I used to wake up with the Mighty Fortress, you know, theme song for Truth for Life at 6 a.m. You know, every morning for years. So it's been heartbreaking, really, to watch. Yeah. I mean, I, I one of the things I noticed just, I, when I started listening to the sermon and he went to Luke 15, I thought, Oh no. I mean, there, there's several things you can do in Luke 15, but it, it, it right off the bat, I thought, Oh, he's going to do the, he's going to do the older brother thing. And 
that's what he did. And it was remarkable to me because it, the people who were critiquing him over the course of the week, I guess, between the time that his original interview with Bob Lapine came out um, and, and the sermon, very few of them were angry or, or his, his enemies or his opponents or just didn't like him. Most of them are people who really admire him, respect him, have, have listened to his preaching for years and love him. And, and, and their arguments to him were not, hey, you know, you need to make sure you shun all gay people. <laughs> you need to make sure that you don't, you, you can't show any kind of love or relationship with a grandson or a child who's gay. No one was, nobody was saying that. And nobody said yeah, that. That's what was unbelievable. Was right, right. And so, but he, there was no acknowledgement of that on his, on his part. In fact, he, he portrayed all the opposition to his, to his point of view as, as people literally saying, you can't eat with sinners. You should cut off your grandson. And have no relationship with me whatsoever. Or the grandmother That's was right. asking for his advice. So that that it's I, I don't know how he got that. My, my only guess is you know I know I know that these older guys, these boomers, <laughs> are not on social media a lot, and that they get their news kind of. I bet they get their news filtered to their staff. So I wonder if that's what he was hearing from his staff, what people were saying. I, I don't know, but it was really tone deaf to the kind of criticism he was getting, which I think deserved to have some kind of answer beyond you're all Pharisees and, and fundamentalists. Yeah. But then, but then, second of all, it's it was such a. I mean, and, and Ann mentioned this in her article, and other people have noticed it too. But I've I've listened to him for so long, watched him so for so long. I've never seen such a bad misapplication of the text in my long twenty years of listening to the guy. More than twenty years of listening to the guy, he is typically one of the best expositors out there. If you if you go and listen to Alistair Begg preach, it sounds easy what he's doing, but that's because he's so good. He's he's good at expositing a text or ex- exegeting a text text and telling you what it means, but then applying it in such a not I'm hesitating to use the word casual, but such an easy way that just hits you. That takes years and years and years of experience and and study and practice to do, and he 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 does it almost naturally. And so, hearing him take Luke 15, where you have a penitent son coming back, the prodigal son coming back to his father's house, wanting mercy, wanting help, and receiving it from a father. And then the older brother not being willing to go and welcome his, his younger brother back and likening that to a grandson who is purposefully, defiantly setting out to blaspheme marriage and to rebelling against God. So, and, and you say that the same thing. You know, if you're going to put the grandson anywhere in that parable who's getting married to his trans friend, he would be in the pigsty. He'd be, that's before right. he realized that he needs to come back, he would be, that's where he would be. And I think the normal, regular Alistair Begg would have recognized that. I think you know, if, 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 if he had not been called on the carpet for a week, I think he would have been able to see, if he, if he were given this situation in a neutral way, I think he would have been able to pry the text correctly, but it, he see he seems very defensive. The sermon had to me had a had a real hurt sense to it, like, he, like he's being personally attacked, and so he's kind of lashing out. Um, third thing I'll say, and I'll be quiet about it. I, know, I noticed, you know, he said he talked about how American evangelicalism doesn't have the nuance that British evangelicalism does, and he mentioned John Stott and others. And but it was really ironic because in the sermon. 
in the sermon, there was no nuance. You were either agreeing with his advice to the grandmother or you're, or you're a Pharisee. There's, there's no, there's no other way. There's no middle way. There's no like, Hey, I think you made bad, you made a bad, bad decision here in making that advice. Uh, but I still think you should love the son. Just not do that. There's no, there's no, it was you, you are agreeing with me or you're a Pharisee or a fundamentalist, which was, I thought, I thought just in America preaching to an American congregation for 40 years. Yeah. Yeah. It was unbelievable. And I thought one of the most bizarre parts of a otherwise already bizarre sermon was when he, if you caught the um, aside, these preachers who preach against particular sins, like, you know, it's always often the case that they're the ones who um, are struggling wrestling with that themselves. And I was like, what are you implying there with respect to this particular issue? But, um, but I, um, no, I thought, you know, the, the, yeah, I, I think you're exactly right that the, I mean, the end of the prodigal son parable is the father exclaiming to the older son that your brother who was dead is now alive yeah. and was lost right. and now is found. And to go to equate that, to, to imagine being able to say something like that in the midst of a transgender wedding is, is ridiculous. I mean, that's, that's the, that's the exact opposite. Your brother who is still dead, who is still lost, yeah. we, he has not returned. And it, it was really, I agree. I, I don't, I don't have anything. I don't have a lot more to add. I mean, you think you really summed it up well, Matt, but it was strange. It was, it was, I, I didn't expect him to come out and say I was totally wrong, uh, but I didn't expect him to double down and certainly not to imply that his opponents or the people that were upset with what he said were so mischaracterized. It was really hard to believe, like it seemed willfully ignorant of what they were saying. I mean, it's so much so that people are actually saying, there is no part of me that says you should shun, cut off, or not associate with your sinful family members and friends. It's simply that we cannot go celebrate and make yeah. a public celebration of this sin. And so I think Al Mohler said, you know, it was like the reason why the cake bakers, you know, it was like, you know, cake baker, cake baker will make a birthday cake for whoever. There's nothing sinful about having a birthday cake, you know, like a wedding photographer or a photographer will take a picture of a portrait out in the middle of the field like that's not a big deal but the moment you ask to celebrate and to then by extension give your credence to well then there's a limit to what we can do as christians mm -hmm. and so and I, I just i mean i just listened to it again this this morning um at least parts of it just to make sure i heard him correctly but you know he equated the the hellenized jews who had become too corrupted by the world with the or, or he, he juxtaposed the hellenized jews with the hasidic jews the Hasidim. Um, as the, you know, totally disconnected from the world and said that those were the two sides of his interlocutors that were that were either for or against him. And that what he was trying to do was the way of Jesus, which was to, you know, um, hang out with the tax collector and, and yeah. Pharisee and the sinner, which, of course, the rejoinder to that is up to the point where he was actually participating in right. the um, the exhortation of the money or the actual, you know, den of prostitutes. I mean, Jesus, you know, he may have walked through one, but he certainly wasn't um, celebrating the, that reality. And it's really, it's, it's, yeah, it was, it's hard. It was, it was hard to understand the, the, the persistent misunderstanding, like the, the active misunderstanding of, uh, or at least outright refusal to hear um, the, the real objections of his, his objectors. And there's no actual way to be this theoretical, neutral observer because well you know there's certainly no guarantee that a modern wedding certainly between transgender people would take a classical form but in a classical wedding this is something that Carl Truman pointed out in his article there's a point at which the minister asks the congregation if anyone here knows a reason why these two should not be wed speak now or forever hold your peace 
And at least in theory, Alistair Begg is saying at that point, you need to not say anything. That is not a neutral observer. That is participation. Even if it's a purely secular service, it was it was a justice of the peace. It doesn't matter. I mean, the, the point, what's going on spiritually is a, is a is a demonic thing. It's a demonic mockery of Christ and his church. So being there present is a violation of what Paul says in First Corinthians chapter 10. You know, you can't join yourself with what the pagans sacrifice because they're sacrificing them to demons. And that's what's happening. They may, they may, may they, they, even if it's a non-religious service, that, that's what the demons are doing. <laughs> We're not here with the, with, what the people think they're doing, but the demons are, are are mocking Christ and desecrating marriage. And they love doing that because marriage is about Christ and his church. So what is a Christian doing there? It's it's one thing, you know, I've heard people make allusions to eating meat that has been sacrificed to idols and Paul saying it's fine to do. Well, right. But he also says that if someone says to you, hey, this meat has been sacrificed to idols, you don't eat it because you don't want to give any impression that you legitimize that kind of that kind of worship. So there's no context or situation or circumstance in which a Christian can go to one of these one of these rituals. I agree. Yeah, and I think you, I totally agree with that. And I also think what's sort of laughable about the whole thing is that it's being portrayed as these people are under incredible cultural stigmatism and um and uh, you know, outcast <laughs> like this after what we just went through in June. You know, we had yeah. the entire major cities festooned with pride parades and 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 banners and all these things. And every other character in every movie is homosexual, and everybody's you know half the army generals or transgender or whatever you know whatever the case is like this is not a societal outcast we're talking about anymore and yet it's being portrayed as such and what's interesting to me and we've talked about this i feel like all the time is that it still points back to the reality that the law written on the heart is crying out for um, or is, is living in incredible brittle reactive shame about this lifestyle that's paul says contrary to nature and therefore like no matter how many yeses you're going to get the, the quietest and slightest little no is still going to provoke wrath. You know, it's going to, it's mm-hmm. going to set people off. And that's what's so interesting about the entire discussion is that, that there is no way there is no, there is no, like you said, Nick, there's no theoretical way to be this sort of hundred percent against sort of person. And yet also communicate that in anything that's going to be heard as, as loving or even, or even as, as tolerable. It's revealed once again, the, well, we, again, we talked about a bunch, the, the impossibility of taking away the accusation of the law without absolution. Like, it's just no possible way. And so unless, because even if the grandmother showed up, you know, they were going to still, it wasn't going to be embraced as, oh, that's my loving granny. It's going to be like, well, I, you know, I, I wrestled her to the ground for that, at least. And this is the first step towards a lifetime of chokeholds until she finally, you know, blesses me. You know, this is the way these things go. Um, unless, you know, the grandmother lovingly says, I can certainly consort with you and I'm not ostracizing you. I just can't celebrate this because it goes counter to my conscience. And so we will continue to be in your life and we'll continue to be a loving, objective presence. And, you know, sh- much stranger things have happened than that persistent witness actually being the vehicle through which the Lord brings repentance. That's what um, I was going to say. There's no there's no allowance, it seems, for the power of the other sermon, which is, oh, my gosh this means that much to you. That's right. Maybe there's something worth thinking about here that you would say no to me in this situation. That's a sermon too, just as much as theoretically saying yes might 
allow you to build a bridge or have a conversation that you might not ordinarily have access to saying no might maybe not, you know, half an hour later, but a while later might open up a very similar opportunity to have a very similar conversation about what love actually looks like. I baptized someone who had been disallowed from being a godparent um, many years before I met them. And that was very upsetting to them. And the, and the priest at the time said, well, you're not a believer, so you can't be a godparent. It's not nothing personal. It's just that you should probably consider your own relationship to God. The word you, God you know, is in the that's title. Right. <laughs> and so anyway, long story short, some six years later, that no had rattled around in, you know, sufficiently to the point where when they showed up in, in a church, began to start questioning for real, what is so important about this? What is so yeah. Um, meaningful. And I ended up baptizing. I mean, it was really quite, and I, you know, again, I don't think that's necessarily the, it's not a hundred percent foolproof thing, but at the same time, when somebody realizes that in and they respect and love you, that you actually care about something greater and more profound and powerful than yourself to the extent that you may dare to, to tarnish your horizontal relationship in order to maintain your vertical one with God himself, well, then um, that's a powerful sermon. It's a powerful witness. And, you know, it's too few, too, too, too few seen or heard, at least. And some people have been rightly pointing out that the the other sermon is, at least the way Alistair Begg suggested that it be given, is incomplete because because it's not just the, the grandson who needs to know. If you're going to go, if you're going to go to the one of these weddings and you're going to take Alistair Begg's advice seriously, to do that with integrity, if, if, unless, unless they have a time, I don't know, if they don't have a time in the wedding service, they say, speak now or forever hold your peace, you would have to go individually, each person who attends that wedding and say, look, I don't agree with this. <laughs> That's right. I think, I think this is right. My grandson's really glad I'm here, though. That's right. That's right. Right. Because this is the loving thing. Everybody, everybody who attends that service is going to assume you you agree with it, right? So it's not enough just to tell privately, you know, that your your grandson, hey, I don't think this is the right thing. You got to tell this partner. You got to tell the, you got to tell the, the minister. You got to tell the JP. You got to tell the, the best man and best woman, whatever it is. All 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 of them need to know your position. You got to make yourself a pest. Well, that was something Truman wrote. He said, you know, at that point, I'm I'm sure that the the couple wouldn't actually want you there anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's, that's, that's probably right. Doug Wilson had a really good article on this as well. He was pointing out that Alistair Begg's advice to this grandmother really depends on this particular sin being something that's so socially popular, so socially acceptable. If, if it were a different kind of sin, it was much less socially acceptable he probably wouldn't give that advice. So the example that he gave was starting an alt-right, alt-right website and you know, using a lot of Nazi influences and things like that on the website. Would you tell your son who's starting this website and having a you know an opening party for it, yeah, hey, I really disagree with this, but I'm going to come to the party and celebrate the beginning of this of this alt-right uh, website. And, and, and no, there'd be no, and there'd be no social pressure to do that. I mean. <laughs> The social pressure being the opposite well, side. And, and now, even worse, even more social- clearly, your participation in it would cancel you. Your, right. so your, even your principled objection that you had right. written on paper, your presence there alone would have you removed from your pulpit or removed from your job. And so, you know, that, I think I thought that was a pretty good example. If you believe, and this is really at the heart of the whole thing, you believe that they're equally sinful, if not, if not right. equally 
opprobrious. And like, that's really the problem from down. We've been talking about for years now is that, but thinly veiled behind all of this sort of quote, the desire of being compassionate is a real lack erosion of any real sense that this is as sinful as at least the Bible portrays it to be, or as, as soul harming and as ultimately nefarious as we've been given to, uh, as has been revealed to us. And so, you know, that's a, that's a big victory for the secular sort of pagan culture, excuse me, the pagan yes. culture, but it is a real weakness within the church. Um, and, you know, I, I don't want to, to define people by their sins, but there are gradations of uh, having been given, o- given over to them. And when you have people who have decided to wholly identify and totally give themselves over to a lifestyle that, that is explicitly prohibited and condemned in scripture, well, then it's a, we're talking about a, a, a different level of consideration than eating with the, even the tax collectors and sinners, you know, in, in the New Testament, you know, we're, so we're talking about people who are unrepentantly persisting in a soul destroying uh, lifestyle. And, you know, we have to be able to deal with that with, with grace, but also the seriousness with which the the transgression, you know, requires. And I think that's what's being lost in all of these, these conversations. That's what's so shocking about it. You just, if, if this were like a 20 something Wheaton grad or like a 20 something, you know, Duke graduate student, <laughs> you know, buying into the narrative of, yeah, we should go, we should go just register disapproval. I wouldn't bet an eye. I mean, it would be, I, the person would need to be corrected, but it, it wouldn't be surprising. But this is Alistair Begg, who's, who is, like I said a minute ago, he's a boomer who was raised in the, in the, in the Scottish, a very conservative branch of the Scottish church. He's not been, at least I hadn't thought infected by the woke virus or by progressive thought. I mean, listening to his sermon on Romans one back during Christmas, he was very clear about homosexuality. So horrible, but somehow even a guy like that, who's just as solid as a rock, even a guy like that can be subverted by the the propaganda that that these ceremonies are about love and 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 going to the ceremony can express love it's 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 remarkable that someone of his caliber can can fall to that my prayer and i hope that others will pray this too is that he's he's scheduled and last last i know he's still scheduled to preach at the shepherds conference which is the john macarthur led pastoral conference coming up coming up this year and my hope is that someone of his, one of his peers, like John MacArthur or someone of that caliber, would be able to get in touch with him and talk to him. Because I, I, I can't help but think that his understanding of the situation is colored by his staff and people around him who are, who are really defensive of him. And he needs someone who can you know, call him directly and yeah. say, hey, Alistair, can we, let's, let's, let's talk and who he respects. Because he's it, it clearly from that sermon, he's not heard from anyone he respects who disagrees with him. He's only heard her people that he has apparently contempt for, who or at least he's portrayed in, in a way that strawmans their position. But someone, someone who he knows well, who's known he's known for a long time, who loves him, and he knows who loves him, we'll, we'll just give him a call and talk to him. I think maybe maybe he might listen. Yeah, it's. I mean, again, it's it's frightening, or it's not frightening. It's it's surprising because. Given his stated positions, which have been so orthodox and so countercultural for years, you know, not, there's yeah. nothing new. And he's right to be defensive about that. If anyone questions his history and his 
his stated convictions, well, they're wrong. I mean, he's in, and praise God for that, that they're wrong. But having stated convictions like that, he must have been uncharitably interpreted over the past decades by people who dismiss him either as a fundamentalist or a, you know, some sort of uh, Bible thumper or to unloving. I mean, he must have been called unloving at some point for his positions, stated positions. And the fact that he can't, he couldn't have worked through the question, which we all have to is, is, is this unloving? Like, am I actually unloving? Is this unchristian? I've been accused of being unchristian, unloving, and, you know, counterproductive to the spread of the gospel by having these convictions. And I imagine He's had to think through that, you know, every time he comes around to Romans, every time he comes around to Levitical laws and the prohibitions of, of all sorts of things. And yet at this point, it suddenly becomes so clear that anyone that disagrees with him is a Pharisee and is unloving. And it's like, well, I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's I, I don't think we've seen the last of this. This I don't think we've heard the last of this conversation. And I don't know what outside of a confession like you mentioned, Matt, like my dear friend, John MacArthur or John Piper or whoever, you know, whoever he's friends with has come to me and helped me see that, that I was wrong or I misunderstood this or, or I, you know, but short of that, if he just persists in this, then I think we're going to see sadly, like with the uh, Pope, when he did his change on, on blessing same-sex unions, we're going to see a lot of, of evangelicals who are on the fence, you know, emotionally just helping point to Alistair Begg and saying, well, if it's good enough for him, you know, it's good enough for me, like, what's the big deal? And and once again, you know, put put the traditional biblically orthodox position in uh, an even more of a minority, at least here in the West. Yeah, we should point out, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned the Pope. We should point out that this move of <clears throat> registering your, your, your recognition of orthodox doctrine on sexuality, while, quote unquote, pastorally bending that and applying it in a way that allows you to kind of bless something that should be blessed. That's what Alistair Begg said in, in this sermon and, and his advice is per, is pretty consistent with what the Pope has done and fiducia supplicans and with what the Archers Canterbury has done and the, the Church of England has done with making that distinction between the, the doctrine of marriage, which we'll never deviate from, and our pastoral practice, which is going to be different. We can we can bless these unions, but not really bless the unions, but the people in the unions. And then what Andy Stanley did, right? So Andy's were, oh yeah, I hold the orthodox line on what marriage is, but pastorally speaking, it's a yeah. different thing. They're all Maybe that's that the distinction. European nuance he's talking about. I think that's the... Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're, they're all making that distinction between orthodoxy and practice um, as, if, as if what is true is somehow harmful when acted out on a personal level as a pastor. Uh, and you just see nothing in the scriptures any any remotely like that. The truth is always seen as a thing that sets a person free and that and that brings light into the darkness and it brings warmth into a cold room. Uh, you never see the truth as something that's that, that should be withheld for pastoral purposes from somebody ever. So once you've started down that lot that that thought road, um, you know you've stepped out of you stepped out of the realm of the scriptures and out of the realm of, of Christian orthodoxy and even out of Christian orthodox practice. Yeah. I mean, Jesus literally refers to himself as the truth and says that right. It, right. it is what, and he is what will set you free. That's what pastoral care is about. It's about freeing the sinner and it's yeah. the truth that can do that. The truth is always the pastorally caring thing to do. I would hate to see, like Eugene Peterson, I would hate to see the final 
the final memory of this guy's yeah. you know, ministry be tarnished because of, you know, of a hopefully what's a misunderstanding or at least a, a lack of, of clarity about the, the real, the real nuances of the situation, because, you know, there's a, there's a place for that grandmother to show genuine love and, and remain in as close a fellowship with that grandson or daughter as possible and not go to the wedding, mm -hmm. which is a position that he, he didn't even consider, or at least I hadn't seemed to consider because, you know, like we mentioned last week, the first thing he could do is have, have lunch with the new, the, the married couple, you know, without celebrating them or whatever, or at least, I don't know, you could have, you could do something to show that you were not physically repulsed by the reality of someone to be a sinner and yet not celebrate their sin, which is in fact a difficult conversation, which is why I would look up to Alistair Begg and be, hope that he would be, help me walk through that, you know, as an older, wiser um, statesman. And so that's been the disappointment. Yeah. Well, if our listener is either John MacArthur or John Piper, you have your marching orders, sir. <laughs> Call up Alistair Begg, speak the truth in love, and help a faithful brother come home to the truth. Um, thank you, listener, for listening to Stand Firm this week. If you want to keep the conversation going with us, you can be in touch. Rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com or join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. Thank you to J.D. Koch and Matt Kennedy. I'm Nick Lannon, and Lord willing, we'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Mm -hmm.